Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Before we kick off, I do want to acknowledge the ongoing death and destruction of Australia's bushfire crisis and let you know that we do feel a bit frivolous talking about the likes of Carl Stefanovic's return to a breakfast TV show and music on a radio station when there is such a monumental disaster happening. We do, however, carry on. But with that in mind, I want to kick off by drawing your attention to some additional things the industry is doing, which you could get involved with to make a bit of a difference. Firstly, Abe's Audio is offering free voiceovers and production for any commercials or content which supports fundraising activities, community events and information, or local businesses which have been affected by the fires. Go to www.abesaudio, that's A-B-E-S, audio.com.au and ask the team for more details. In addition, TBWA's Kimberly Wells has launched a pro bono campaign for the Gippsland Emergency Relief Fund. Every dollar given goes to families in the region who have lost everything. You can donate at www.gerf.org.au slash donate. And if you're a media owner or brand which would like to help amplify GERF's message, including an ad with a voiceover from Eric Banner, you can contact Sarah Lawrence. That's sarah.lawrence, L-A-U-R-E-N-S, at tbwa.com. To look up how to donate to the New South Wales Rural Fire Service, the Victorian Country Fire Authority, Wires or Koalas in Care. But now on with the show. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. This week, we'll be talking about Tourism Australia pulls its mate song campaign. How the media has responded to the bushfire crisis. And Carl Stefanovic makes his return to morning TV. First up, Tourism Australia's Mate Song campaign, which stars Kylie Minogue and a slew of other Australian celebs, and first aired before the Queen's Christmas address in the UK, has been pulled amid Australia's ongoing bushfire crisis. The $15 million campaign was aimed at promoting Australia as a travel destination for people in the UK, but its messaging was conflicting with global media coverage of Australia, with blue skies in the campaign juxtaposing with images of bushfire-ravaged towns all over the media. Hannah, this campaign was still going for quite a while. It wasn't pulled until recently, even though it launched on Christmas Day in the UK. What Do you think they made the right decision? Should they have pulled it earlier, later? I really do feel like Tourism Australia was, was stuck here because the campaign was created quite a while ago. They launch it and then, you know, this crisis just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, there's a couple of different things in there, I reckon. It's similar to or almost similar to the discussion about the New Year's fireworks, which everyone said, oh, we should stop it and donate all the money. But, of course, the money's been spent well in advance. It doesn't you know, it isn't there anymore. People are still coming and turning out for it. I think Tourism Australia were a little bit stuck here because while it may seem, you know, a bit frivolous to be championing what a great life we have over here in Australia when half the country is on fire, I also think, and it's been said time and time again, this isn't anything new, that tourism is so important 
in terms of the liability of these towns, obviously not directly at the moment, but it will be when they start to try and rebuild and they start to try and come back from what they've had to go through. So I think either way, Tourism Australia was in a bit of a tough spot, but I do think just given the nature of the campaign and how, you know, tourism campaigns naturally focus very positively on a country because that's what makes sense. Um, I think if they had left it running, you know, without any comment about it, it would have been really weird. Yeah, and I think it was just such a contrast of what they were directly promoting and what's being directly affected at the moment. You know, we have Kylie Minogue sitting on a tree looking out over the Harbour Bridge with crystal clear blue skies, actively promoting koalas, while all of the international headlines are about the death and destruction of the koalas, the fact that they could become functionally extinct, and our skies in Sydney haven't been clear for what feels like months, it could be weeks, I'm losing track, but, you know, I'm I'm Mm. forgetting what blue sky looks like. And it's just been front page news over there, headline news. And so I think the images were just too different. And it was, you can't be promoting koalas as something to come and see when, you know, there's a real risk that we won't be able to see them in future years. I think you've hit the nail on the head there as well. This this isn't an issue that's only affecting Australia at this point. This is an issue that's receiving international attention. There were several days where all international headlines were focused on the bushfire, meaning we were literally the biggest story in the world during those times. I don't think we were, you know, you can't just hide behind a campaign and put forward the face that you want to put forward. I also think... There's no reason this campaign can't continue once the fires have finally been controlled, which could take months at this point. But once they finally have been, there's no reason the campaign can't spark back up then. It's not like it's been pulled forever. It's just been postponed. I think as well there's been some interesting commentary around what Australia's brand looks like moving forward, right? Because the Kylie Minogue ad image of Australia is an image that Australia has prided itself on for decades and what the UK and the US knows us for. But right now, you're right, we're known for being the country that's on fire that hasn't done enough to stop that from happening. Our Prime Minister is headline news, our bushfires, our wildlife, our towns, all headline news. And there's been some some comments on is this what we're going to be known for? Is Australia going to be instead known as the country that kind of didn't do enough as the rest of the world also struggles to do enough rather than the laid-back, matey, relaxed, beach-going, blue-sky place that I think we'd like to be thought of and that the world has liked to think of us as but isn't the case anymore. And in terms of, you know, tourism and whether or not the campaign will continue Of course it will, and I mean there's already initiatives like Spend With Them, which Taria Pitt set up to encourage people to actually visit these towns once they're back back on their feet to spend your money in those communities. I mean, it's the middle of summer. These communities need tourists right now. They don't have them. Small businesses need money to be spent, and I think that that's the way that tourism can play a role moving forward is encouraging people to go, not necessarily to Sydney or to the Great Barrier Reef even, but for the time being to Gippsland, to communities on the south coast of New South Wales, to the to the communities that need it. Taking a step 
back, uh, Hannah, what did you think of the campaign? So outside of the context of, you know, the clash of the clash of images and, and the awful timing and the crisis that we're facing, as a standalone campaign separate to that, because it's that's well out of Tourism Australia and their agency MNC Saatchi's control, had we not been facing this problem, what do you think of the campaign? This is a tough one. Um, I just because I can't say I did love the campaign, um, but I'm not sure I can put my finger on what I didn't like about it. There was nothing. I mean, I know quite often, and some of our best Australian tourism campaigns have been really cheesy. Some of our, you know, we that's kind of what we rely on as a country. That's kind of our brand is cheesy humor, right? Like, and I, you know, obviously love Kylie because <laughs> it would be on Australian not to. And I think she's a great choice. She's so well known in the UK. She's beloved in the UK. And I think also using Adam Hills, who is obviously over there, um, and also stars in the campaign. I think they've made some really great choices. I think it just didn't quite get where I wanted it to go. But also, again, I'm not the target audience. I'm not a Brit who's going to come and visit the UK. So for all I know, come and visit Australia. Come and visit Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so for all I know, it's you know perfect. I just I don't know. It's also. I'm sure there are shorter versions of it, but I did watch the full version and it was long. There are 30-second cutdowns, yeah. but, yeah, it is, a, I think, like a two-and-a-half-minute campaign. It is basically like a, you know, music video. Also, can I raise a question? In it, they say sausage on bread instead of a sausage sandwich. Do we not say sausage sandwich in this country? Is it sausage on bread Have is the UK thing? Have you not thought about the fact that it's probably to do with rhyming Rather than okay, but cool. Actual... So we're just going to change the name of things because we want to rhyme. Uh, yes, there's a line in there like <laughs> "Don't bite your nails to the cuticles." Something, something. Come and visit the marsupials. Like, right, come fine. on. They've only <laughs> fine, put in. Fine. They've only put in cuticle there because they really wanted to show the koalas marsupials, and so they're like, "Oh, what rhymes with marsupial? Cuticle." So That's I don't true. think I don't think that uh, correct. Naming and English is is their primary aim here. No, good that point. That segues though into I think what my issue with it was, which was the song. Like well, that's that's a <laughs> huge part of it. My issue with it was everything. <laughs> no, I loved the talent. I thought the scenery was great. It was shot spectacularly. The the kind of continued spot the the talent was really fun. There were some really interesting um, people in there. But the song was just kind of forgettable to me. Mm. Uh, about five minutes after watching it, I thought, what was that song? And I couldn't think of it and I can't think of the tune now and I think it was such an opportunity to have something really catchy. And, yeah, I just kind of felt like, oh, it's Kylie Minogue. We could have done something really cool yeah. here. I think that that was my issue. But See, it did, get stu- it did get stuck in my head. I mean, not as much as the um, – Ashley Madison looking for somebody other than my wife song, uh, which has been in my head again this week because we were sent by ad standards, the most complained about ads of the decade and uh, the Ashley Madison song with a bit of a jingle about all these men. I can think of that straight away though. That's the point. I think, I think we can all (laughs) sing it now and everybody at home would love it, but that's in my head as is this other really bizarre song, which I came across today. I finally started clearing out my inbox, which will, thrill Hannah congratulations (laughs) yeah just just before I go away so that it can bank up again and I found this email from December from this company called invisible artists and I don't even I I do know why I clicked on it it 
it had a headline about Tom being on an iPhone and Hannah and I both have previous Toms in our lives and so it was quite an amusing headline for me. So I jumped in and it seems to be like the chief creative officer or something of this company who's constantly caught on his phone and his team has made this video of all the times he's been caught on his phone not paying attention and put together this jingle about Tom being on an iPhone and sent it out to their whole database. But that song is very catchy. Yeah, that song was in our head for at least two hours today. <laughs> okay, well, I must hear it. Yeah. But that's what I wanted from Kylie yes, and yes, yes. Actually, like, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I think I kind of had a little bit of the jingle stuck in my head. But, yeah, considering for the entirety of yesterday afternoon I was singing the Ashley Madison song, much to everyone in my house's enjoyment, I don't – I think, it, yeah, I think, yeah, it could have been stronger. It could have been stronger. Yeah. So your advice for Tourism Australia is be more like Ashley Madison – and or Tom's iPhone jingle. Be more like a Kylie song. Like, yeah. think of the classic Kylie songs. I, I don't wonder, know. I mean, it's a big ask. I get, like, it, it's hard. But, and visually it was wonderful, I It thought. was stunning. But and I, I did watch music. it. I watched it again without, like, because it was coming up on my Facebook all the time. So I watched it again without actually any audio. And it is stunning. And you're right, like, the crew they've got in to do it and the way it's done is really clever. Yeah, it would have been interesting if they had kind of, I don't know if they did or not, but if they had worked with her and worked with her team a bit more and maybe kind of come up with something together that was like a pop song, because that would have been really interesting. Well, it was written, the lyrics, uh, the song was done by Eddie Perfect. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because then afterwards I did look that up and that made me even more, no, it's all coming back to me now. (laughs) That made me even more disappointed because I usually, like, I think he's really talented and for it to have been his work, I was like, oh, I just... It's a do, tough ask, though. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I do think though that it is—it's a huge resuscitation of the philosophy idea, though, yeah. right? Compared to the reaction that the first kind of teaser or whatever you want to call it was, huge improvement. I think people were like, okay, maybe philosophy still not a great tagline, but we get it. Yeah, and I think. If they've got something similar planned for other markets, Asian markets, the US, that kind of thing, like Kylie in the UK, it's probably going to go really well. So, I mean, in in that sense, I think it, they've done well. Next up, how the media reacted to the bushfires. So a couple of months ago, I deleted my personal Twitter account because I was sick of what a cesspit it is. But I have been spending an increasing amount of time on there in recent weeks, just keeping an eye on what's going on with the bushfires, with the stuff between Iran and the US, and just with the the news in general. And something that's become increasingly clear, which I'm sure everyone's already aware of, is just how toxic the debates can become between the supposed left and the supposed right. And I say that because Twitter makes it such a basic argument as if people can just be put into one simple category and that defines everything they do and everything they think. But I guess because the Mumbrella News account follows so many prominent journos and media organisations, what is just being pushed upon me is how much they're infighting at the moment about responsibility to do with the bushfires, about angles to do with the bushfires, about truths to do with the bushfires and it's just this non-stop tit-for-tat. Media organisations are going at each other 
there's a particular divide between News Corp and then The Guardian and, and the ABC with the Australian in particular getting criticism for writing negative ABC articles at a time when the ABC says it's absolutely crucial uh, as a platform and as a broadcaster to be informing regional communities who are at risk. And then The Guardian and News Corp are just going back and forth about who sucks the most and it's it's really hard to to keep on, on top of and it's really, really vitriolic and, and, and quite nasty. In, in particular, the focus does seem to be on the Murdoch-owned News Corp and whether or not it's a climate change denying outlet and, and whether or not it's furthering the problems that we're facing for not giving adequate coverage to scientific facts and instead going after more sensational headlines about arsonists and about the Greens and backburning and all of those things that I'm sure you've all heard before. So, Hannah, what do you think there? There's been increasing statements on Twitter that, you know, you can no longer work for News Corp and pretend that any good you do undoes the bad that other people within that organisation do. There's some excellent people that work for News Corp as much as I am not a fan of what the Australian's doing with certain sections, particularly to do with opinion and the bushfires. What do you think of this whole mess? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think News Corp, and I don't know that anyone in News Corp would deny this, News Corp doesn't shy away from strong personalities. It doesn't shy away from strong opinions. In fact, that's kind of what it what it markets itself as. You know, it markets itself as a platform that gives a voice to people who have a lot to say. Um, I think, unfortunately, especially for titles like The Australian, at the moment, that does seem to be people who have right-leaning views. I don't know whether <laughs> Hannah's attempts at diplomacy I know. are amusing me to no end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether, you know, that's always going to be that way, but it definitely seems to have gone that way. And, I I mean, we've seen an exodus of staff from the Australian over the last couple of months and they've been replaced with people who are from within the organisation. So presumably it's something that the industry is pretty aware of. However, I think it kind of sometimes it really depresses me how much the media manages to snipe at each other. And you just wonder, I think particularly in that piece that ran in the Oz um, about ABC, I think it was Michael Rowland or somebody, um, the host of um, News Breakfast, said, is now really the time? And I kind of, I feel like I'm going to sound a little bit Scott Morrison at the moment. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like the time for us to all be getting all up in each other's grills and saying, you shouldn't be running this, you shouldn't be doing this, you're reporting on this badly. Maybe we should instead be focusing on getting important information out there into the world. However, I obviously see the other side of that, which is, you know, if they're actively running incorrect, factually incorrect pieces, then... Is that helping? I don't know. It just – Twitter is horrible at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> worth noting that it's not just News Corp that is uh, responsible for this. Um, I'm getting increasingly irritated by the presence of uh, Channel 10's Joe Hildebrand in my feed because he's just – And news.com.au columnist. Yes. That, that is – oh, damn it. Here I am trying <laughs> to not make this an anti-News Corp brand and I've stuffed it up. Thank you for pointing that out. But – he is, you know, deliberately, 
I was going to say fueling the fire, but that's terrible. But he's deliberately posting these things that he knows are inflammatory. There it is again. And he knows will upset people and doing it under the guise of, well, these are the facts. These are the facts. These are the facts. Everybody calm down. But it's, it's not the time to be calm. Uh, and if you want everybody to calm down, well, then stop, stop doing that. Um, and Channel 7's gotten criticism as well for promoting, some people would argue too strongly, the line about arsonists and deliberately lit fires and pushing that too much so that climate change deniers can use that and say, oh, it's just, you know, a couple of hundred crazy people and, and poor land management practices that have led us to this point. And even Network 10's uh, publishing platform, 10 Daily, got in a lot of heat uh, on Twitter because they published a, an opinion piece about leaving Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, alone at this time from a freelance writer who wasn't really a freelance writer. I think he worked for the New South Wales Minerals Council as their communications head or something, which they did say, but the first line was that he is a freelance writer and it's a bit like, well, maybe if he was writing about like window cleaning, we could call him a freelance writer or about how much he loves cats, we could call him a freelance writer. But when he's actively telling everybody to leave the Prime Minister alone, when most of the criticism directed at the Prime Minister is about the fact that he's in bed with the coal mm, lobbyists. I just don't think that you can say, you can call yourself freelance because you're not. You're doing that for a reason. You're doing that with a very, very clear business and political agenda. So nobody's really been immune from the criticism. Uh, every media outlet thinks that every other media outlet isn't doing it well. Yeah, it's funny as sorry. It's funny as well because Ten got such good praise for Hugh Remington's piece, which was really powerful. I also, um, it occurred to me while you were talking. Then I do wonder how much of this is just media Twitter, how much of this is just us very firmly in our media bubble, looking at a lot of journalists sniping back and forth on Twitter, and how much. Obviously, the people who are in the areas that are affected right now probably don't care. They're probably not reading the news because they're kind of out there living it at the moment. And I do wonder whether we have a tendency to build these things up a lot bigger yeah, than they I think, are. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think I'd offer a counterpoint there in that a lot of the criticism that's going around, people will say, oh, it's just inner city latte sipping lefties. But somehow it's inner city latte sipping lefties and crazy country folk you know like you can't you can't have it both ways you see people yelling at the prime minister and those pe- in in fire affected regions and those people are then painted as not the quiet australians but then they go back to saying oh it's the latte sipping inner city lefties it's like well they couldn't be two more different ends of the spectrum so which one is it it seems that we just dismiss it Either way is, okay, well, no, you're not allowed to bang on about it or you're not allowed to bang on about it. As an inner city cappuccino, not latte, sipping lefty, I think, well, I think we are allowed to bang on about it. Like what what else, you know, we, we help out where we can, but we can't pretend that this nonsense isn't going on. And as much as I'm sure people whose houses are burning down don't give a crap about us pontificating on it and probably aren't tuning into the Mumbrella cast <laughs> – I think we do – they don't have time to be holding people accountable and to be questioning the media's role in this. We do. So may, perhaps we do need to do that because they're going to be too busy rebuilding their lives or what's left of it. And by the time they're ready 
you know, the the media caravan might have moved on. So maybe we do need to sort of sit here and, and be ridiculous city folk and, and keep an eye on things because the people who are directly affected don't have time to do it. I also think you can't underplay the role of the media in a situation like this. Like it's it's life and death for people and broadcasters like the ABC in communities that don't have communications, that don't have internet connections, that don't even have mobile phone connections in a lot of instances, they have a radio and they're relying on that to to make informed choices and to stay or to leave. And I just, I just keep coming back to the fact that when we're talking about opinion pieces, for, for example, it's fine to run different opinions, but let's start from the basis of fact. And, and you can't, you can't, argue with that you can't make up your own facts um Lenore Taylor I think has said it to you Hannah quite well which is and and publicly quite well which is fake news isn't news news is truth and so I just keep coming back to this idea that it it does matter because you have people who are really genuinely believing that somehow backburning or hazard reduction would have done something um my grandparents who not the New Year's Eve fires, but the kind of month before that, we're in a fire-threatened area and, you know, homes and towns 10 minutes up from the road from them were obliterated. And they genuinely thought that if there had have been more hazard reduction, that they those homes would have been saved and that, that they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in. So it's it's frustrating because I know why they're believing this because that's what they're reading in the news. And so we absolutely have a responsibility to be, you know, pointing this out and calling it out. And the fact that hashtag arson emergency has been trending just shows how sort of widespread it is. It's not just a certain Twitter bubble. That's kind of Australia trends. Um, and, yeah, I – it's it's increasingly frustrating because you're just like, you know, if the Prime Minister can be saying things that aren't true, what hope do we have? Well, case in point uh, being his most recent, but I'm sure not his last blunder of the week, when he was visiting Kangaroo Island and footage has emerged of him speaking to a local saying at least there's been no loss of life and this woman has to point out actually two people have died and he sort of just doubles down on it and says, oh, yeah, I was thinking about the firefighters, as in no firefighters have died. But, I mean, even if that was true, which is not, he just got his facts wrong. The fact that we're at the point of being like, oh, well, at least no humans died in this one is pretty catastrophic. And I think saying no loss of life is misleading anyway because, you know, millions of animals have been incinerated. Uh, so... Yeah, you're right. He he can't get his facts straight and it's just time and time and time again and somebody has to be holding them accountable. Um, speaking of which, though, if you did want to read more about this, it's worth um, heading online and, and reading uh, Damien Cave from the New York Times article, How Rupert Murdoch is Influencing Australia's Bushfire Debate, uh, which you can find just by searching New York Times Australia Murdoch and it's the the first thing that comes up and that really sort of summarises what's going on with the media and how much that can influence people's opinions about what's going on and where the responsibility lies. So perhaps he can continue the debate and so can we. 
In other media bushfire moves, Hannah, Southern Cross Stereo, which runs the hit network, including Today FM and Fox FM, uh, and the Triple M network, has changed up its music programming in light of what's going on and I guess tried to remove offensive songs or songs that could be seen as particularly insensitive during this time? Yeah, they've said uh, songs that could be considered insensitive. Um, So they kind of, you know, obviously they haven't selected, you know, given as specifics, but basically anything that people who are uh, struggling through the bushfire crisis could be um, upset by or offended by, you know, that's going to be songs with burning or fire or any of those kind of words. That's a lot of songs though. Especially for Triple M. Yeah, we were trying to think of songs this morning and it just wasn't hard, you know, and is it, does it go all the way down to lyrics? You know, we didn't start the fire, burn, baby, burn. There's just, I burn for you. Like there are so, so so many. many and I do not envy the person who has to sit there and sort of go through and untick all those songs for yeah. the time being because it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, and I've spoken to other people for, um, from other radio businesses and they've said, you know, this is the kind of thing that radio businesses are doing a lot. You know, whenever something major happens in the news cycle and they think songs could upset people or cause trauma, they're obviously aware of how big the impact music has on people and they do a lot of this, monitoring their playlists and making sure that nothing in there is going to cause any issue. We also spoke to um, ARN, which of course uh, has Kiss FM and the Gold Network, and they um, said that while they weren't you know, actively announcing it like SCA where they were also very aware of the kind of music that's running across their playlist. Nova said the same thing. They had reviewed their playlist a couple of months ago when the fires started. So yeah, it's good. I mean, I do think it's really good to know that that entire industry is being mindful and even stuff that consumers are not going to know this. Consumers aren't going to know, oh, it's weird. I listened to Triple M all day today and I didn't hear a song about fire. That's not something that's suddenly going to appear, you know, appear in their heads, but it is Good to know that these kind of things are being considered, I think. Up next, Carl Stefanovic is back at Today, but are audiences happy to see him? Carl Stefanovic has made his return to Breakfast TV, returning to his seat on Nine's Today show this week with Alison Langdon as his co-host. His comeback comes just over a year after he was ousted from the position following the infamous call with his brother Peter, which was leaked by an Uber driver. Nine tried the lineup of Deborah Knight and Georgie Gardner. Gardner had already been in place replacing Lisa Wilkinson, who left for 10, but audiences failed to gravitate to the duo and ratings plummeted. It did feel like a big tail between the legs moment for nine to bring Carl back, particularly when it got such spectacular headlines when he was ousted whilst on his honeymoon and, you know, there were reports of nine CEO Hugh Marks calling him because it was so urgent to get this sorted. And Hannah, now he's back. How's how's it going? Better than before? Worse than before? Could it get any worse? Than- <laughs> um, well, it's better than before if we're talking about before as the majority of 2019. So, at the beginning of 2019, today's ratings weren't too bad. Um, you know, at the very early onset of – they well, to be fair, they've kind of been declining since Lisa Wilkinson left, hey, and then 
uh, with Carl there, they were kind of fairly stable. But then on the entrance of Deb Knight and Georgia, Georgie Gardner, things took a bit of a turn from there. For the majority of 2019, there was at least 100,000 between them and Sunrise, who were the leaders in the space. And when I was looking up this, um, some facts for the story, Sam Armitage has been at Sunrise since 2013. Koshi has been there since 2002. So that's a long time. It's a really long time. So they haven't had any of this uncertainty. And if you're, you know, a diehard Sam and Koshi fan, then, you know, you're not having to go anywhere. But anyway, things are looking good for Carl so far. So Carl came back early. Well, there was, you know, all that back and forth where they came back a week early anyway. Well, they were meant to start on the Monday that we've just had. So Monday the 6th. But even that was earlier than usual, wasn't it? Yes. And then he came back on Saturday the 4th amid the bushfire crisis and so that they could have him and Alison fronting that coverage. But, yeah, even if they'd come back on Monday the 6th, uh, that is very, very early, but I suspect it's because Nine wanted to get a head start because what they need to do is they need to get the curiosity viewers. So they need people who think, oh, yeah, I do like Carl's larrikin ways and I want to see what he's going to do next and I want to see what it's like with Alison, but then they need to hold on to it. So they need time for people to become loyal to the program, to become loyal to the hosts and to become loyal to Nine again. And also to allow for a bit of a dip if something goes wrong and, and for people to come back so that when the official ratings period kicks off, they're no longer in the experiment phase. They're no longer in the switching between Sunrise and Today phase. They've made their choice, which I think is why Sunrise rushed back as well. As soon mm-hmm. as Nine made their announcement, Seven made a similar one because, you know, it, it does feel like the breakfast wars are back on and People do say, oh, why do you give so much coverage to these breakfast TV shows? They only average, you know, 250K Metro viewers, like it's not important and blah, blah, blah. But it is because these are TV personalities on humongous pay packets. These are headline generating stars. And as much as people can flick the channel, the reason that radio stations and TV networks put so much effort into their breakfast programming is because when you switch the TV off, when you leave the house to go to work or to pick the kids up or whatever it is, that's the station it's on when you turn the television back on. And there is still a power in that despite streaming services, despite the remote control. And they do attract people for 15 minutes. So that average viewing figure can be quite misleading because people are tuning in and dipping in and out. And so the ads that run in those shows can be really impactful. So to all those people that are always having a whinge that we give breakfast (laughs) television and breakfast radio too much attention, I would say to you, you're wrong. So Carl's return on the weekend brought 231,000 Metro viewers in. That dipped slightly on the Monday down to 225, but the gap has been closing. So on the Tuesday, only 46,000 Metro viewers sat between today and sunrise, and that was even lower this morning. So, I mean, as you said, it's all about that curiosity viewer, isn't it? So this morning there was only like just under, just over 30,000 between them. So People are keen. They're curious. He's, as you said just then, a very big headline generating star. Even if you don't watch morning TV, you know who Kyle Stefanovic is and you have been following his ridiculous antics. So I think I'm, my eye is going to be on the next couple of weeks to see whether it can be maintained, but I am kind of amazed by how quickly the gap has started to close. 
And I just, yeah, I'm so keen to see if they can maintain it. Question on the spot for you. Can today beat Sunrise in 2020? I think they can. I think like in the next couple of weeks they can when it's still curiosity viewing. I am not convinced that they can maintain a lead. So I think maybe we might get one day where suddenly there it's like, you know. And can you imagine the emails from nine that day? <laughs> <laughs> they'll have some special guest on or something or Carl will do something insane the day before mm. and that'll be the day and it'll peak. But then the I, day after the Logies perhaps. Oh, perhaps. That is one of my favorite moments in <laughs> television when he was uh, in inverted commas tired after the Logies. Oh, in, in all of our um, research for Carl coming back, oh gosh, I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. Carl rabbit hole and I found like the, the best moments of Carl on YouTube and oh. then we found a BuzzFeed articles like the X insert number here, most Carl Stefanovic things to ever happen and, oh, my goodness, they were funny. It was so, so amusing but nothing beats that post-Logie's <laughs> appearance. <laughs> nothing, nothing. And nothing will ever beat Lisa Wilkinson, his co-host at the time, her just – stoic carrying of that show while he was next to her I really miss them as a duo they were so good as a duo and when you look back through those Carl moments there was one of him just running around chasing seagulls like I mean he's game to give anything a go that that one um, which we came across again in this BuzzFeed article was delicious because he's running around this AFL pitch chasing seagulls and we've all been there (laughs) Richard Wilkins says something like really faux poetic where he says oh I think he's dreaming about what could have been and Lisa just deadpans back no Richard I think he's just chasing seagulls (laughs) it's just brilliant but you know yeah you're right Brittany we've all done that we've all run around chasing seagulls thinking, well there you go Hannah the answer's there day after the logies yeah today will beat sunrise. day after the logies get a couple of seagulls in the office <laughs> Carl will have his day any anything could happen and that's all for this week but before we go Thursday the 16th of January is the last day to get in your entries for Mumbrella's travel marketing awards These awards are Australia's most respected travel marketing awards and with 19 categories to choose from, including two new ones, there's something for everyone. Head to mumbrella.com.au slash travel awards to find out more and get your entry in before the 16th of January. And I've just looked at my script here and Hannah has written it for me to say, thanks team, hasta la vista. And I think... As much as I don't want to say it, I can't think of anything better. So maybe I'll leave it there. And that's it. We found the perfect (laughs) sign-off. Bye. Bye.